Hallelujah. I believe the Lord will fill you today. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, I've been asked to share the word of the Lord today. And uh, Pastor Daniel has been going through the book of Acts. We've been learning a lot of great things, uh, challenging things. And uh, I want to share with you today on the character qualities of church life. And uh, church life has been part of my life since I've been 17. And it was an exciting thing to go into a church, not really understanding what was going on. That's how I felt. I, I didn't understand. I mean, when the pastor was praying up front, uh, everybody else was praying down in the congregation. I looked around, I said, I thought one person was supposed to pray. I didn't even know God could hear multitude of prayers at one time. Uh, wasn't thinking about other churches meeting at the same time. I, I just was ignorant, but... God made himself known to me that day. And I went back the next, next Sunday and I received Jesus Christ, my personal savior. And it's been a wonderful thing ever since then. As you can tell, I'm old now and uh, it hasn't gone away. It just gets better and better and better the further you go. How many old people would agree with that? Ah, some of you will even agree when you're not old. That's wonderful. Excellent. All right, we're gonna read scripture from Acts chapter four today. It says in verse 32, and the congregation of those who uh, lived, uh, who, who believed, were of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving a testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed as each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite from Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and uh, he owned a tract of land, sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. When we read things like this, and you go back to Acts chapter 2, and there was a definition about the church there, very similar thing is they shared everything together. And sometimes we have a misconception of that in that uh, uh, it's socialism or communism, that that's how the church was, was formed together. And I'd like to say it's not socialism or com communism. It's, it's rather than, a little different than that, uh, Socialism or communism ends up saying, what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. Uh, that's how it kind of comes across. And then uh, what the body of Christ says is that what's mine is yours, and I'll willingly share it with you. So there isn't a belonging, but there's a sharing, there's a giving of one to another. Uh, I've got some political thoughts here this morning, and I found this, and I thought it might be good to... Just start off with this. Uh, I can get in trouble talking about political things, but uh, hopefully you'll be all right and not stone me. I hope you didn't bring stones in with you. Uh, anyway, definitions of different societies and how they function. In communism, if you have two cows, the government takes both of them and gives you part of the milk. In socialism, if you have two cows, the government takes one cow and gives it to your neighbor. In fascism, if you have two cows, the government takes both cows and sells you the milk. 
In Nazism, if you have two cows, the government takes both cows and then shoots you. In bureaucracy, if you have two cows, <clears throat> the government takes both of the cows, shoots one, milks the other one, and then throws the rest of the milk down the drain. Well, in capitalism, if you have two cows, you sell one and you go buy a bull. The rest of you will get that later on. Uh, but there's something good that comes out of that. In the kingdom of God, we have a government as well. And we don't know much about this, but God is called king. He's the sovereign Lord. And we who are raised in America don't understand a lot about that. But if you're raised in England, they understand that all of the English people are subjects of the queen. That means you belong to the king. And that takes a whole different sense. But that's what Christianity does is that we now have surrendered our lives to him and we belong to the king of kings. We're no longer our own, the Bible says. We've been purchased with a price and we belong to somebody else. And it's to the heavenly father, to Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit that we just sang about. So we're subject in the kingdom of God to God himself. Is that okay? Okay. If you really say okay, then you're going to flow with what I have to share with you today. We're going to talk about the character qualities of church life. I found uh, this picture of a church, and uh, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, this is really strange. Uh, it's standing on its steeple rather than on its base. And uh, the man who created it, he was a sculptor, Dennis Oppenheimer, uh, he created this, and he was from New York City. He wanted to put it on Church Street. In fact, he called it church, and uh, it brought all kinds of flack. Different people didn't like this at all. When you have sculpturing, you never know what the sculpturer meant by what he said. In fact, sculptures don't explain themselves. But I'm fortunate to find out that this was no longer called church, but as it moved from New York City, where they would, didn't want it, he moved up to uh, Toronto, and then from, to a museum, and then it moved over to Calgary to another museum, and he changed the name from church to device to root out evil. I like that a little better than just church, because that tells me a little bit about what's going on. He created this thing, and he says, this is a device to root out evil, and that's what Jesus came to do. He came to deal with Satan and all of the stuff that he did to corrupt our society and our, our very beings. And he turned us around and made us subjects of the king. And uh, therefore, I thought maybe you'd want to see this. And if you get this in your mind, that we have something that God has created us for. And so we're going to go through some of the things here in this, in this chapter today to kind of close out the chapter and uh, see what God further has for us. Now, first of all, let me just say that Jesus said to his disciples, when they asked him, who, who do people say that I am? And they had all kinds of responses. And, and, uh, but Peter raised his hand and he says, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked. And he responded, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And when that expression was given, Jesus kind of, I, I, I think he was even a little bit surprised that Peter had the right answer, because most of the time he didn't. Uh, but this time he did, and so he says, you are Peter, and upon this rock, 
I'm going to build my church. And from there on, Jesus was focusing upon a group of people that he called the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here together today, because of what Jesus did for us. And we're going to go through and talk about that a little bit. And so the first thing that I see here, there's four of them, uh, is there is great unity. Great unity. It says the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That's where this portion of scripture starts. He says those that uh, of the congregation who had believed, believed that he was the son of God, it says they were of one heart and one soul. The heart has to do with our, not fellings, but feelings. You can kind of change that there. I didn't change it, but I missed that one. Our feelings are our emotions. That's what the heart's talking about. The soul is talking about our mind and our thoughts. And when you connect your, your feelings, your emotions, with your mind and with your heart, with that which is the whole person, that's called integrity. God brings them together, and you are focused now on what God created you for. And there's a unity that comes with that. The unity of our feelings and emotions being connected with what we think and what we, what we actually understand in our mind. He says that's integrity. Sometimes we're led off with our feelings and sometimes we only try to figure things out. And if you put those two things together, they are of one heart, they are of one soul. Let me take you back to Jeremiah. I've got the scripture there for you so you don't have to look it up. Jeremiah 32. Verses 39 through 41 says this, I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do, uh, to do them good. I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. I will rejoice over them and do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. Interesting that Jeremiah writes that. He says with all, he's saying God's heart and God's soul. I don't know if you've read the book of Jeremiah lately, but the book of Jeremiah is a pathetic book. He writes a lot of scripture, but no one believed what he was saying. Because he was saying, you people are so offline with God that God's going to take you away into Babylon. That's what's going to happen. And they said, no, 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 we're the people of God. How could God? That won't ever happen. Well, he expressed that throughout all of the scripture. But in the midst of all of that, he says some amazing things. And one of them is this verse here. God says, I have a purpose. I'm sovereign. And I'm going to bring you back here. I'm going to do good for you. Good, do good for your kids. And <clears throat> I'm going to do this because I have one heart and one soul. That's how God sees himself. And it didn't matter what was going on. That's what he was going to do. They went into captivity for 70 years. And after those 70 years, the people that came back had one heart and one soul, and they were purposed and driven by the purpose of God. They were united in such a way that they had never been united before, I think, maybe under one or two good kings. But they were on a purpose. And Nehemiah comes along, and he says, let's build the walls, bring in Ezra, let's get the tabernacle up, and let's get going with our worship of God again. 
And they were focused on that. It was amazing. Read the story. It's amazing. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. We're not actually like that. We start in a different way. In fact, there's kind of a dichotomy. Uh, and the scriptures tell us that uh, there's some bad things and there's some good things. We're all born in bad. And uh, even though God knows everything that's good, here Paul the Apostle is telling us there's a different way of living life. So let's read these. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Glad the church doesn't know anything about that one. Uh, Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Wow. Here's one way of living, but the Spirit of God has come, and now we're living a completely different life. It says that in the next few verses, it says, now those who belong to Jesus Christ have, that word is past tense, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. He's come into our life, he's changed us, transformed us, given us the Holy Spirit that we might be full of the Holy Spirit, that we might have love and joy and peace, all the way to self-control. Isn't that wonderful that God has given you self-control? I heard one amen, where, where, where are the rest of you? He's given us these gifts. He's transformed us out of darkness and has brought us into light. He's brought us into the revelation of the kingdom of God and it's a wonderful kingdom. It truly is. Jesus prayed an amazing prayer in John chapter 17. If you haven't read that lately, I encourage you to read that. But in verse 21 of that prayer, he's praying and he says this. He says that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now when you read that, you think, wow, did God answer his prayer? The answer is yes, he did. The last phrase there, it says, so that the world may believe. He's done a work in our lives that has brought such a unity with the purpose and the plan of God that the world looks at how we live and how we speak and how we function and they say, Jesus is really alive. Jesus is really true. And the world looks at the church and says, maybe we ought to change our lives. Have you found that with people you talk to? That's what's supposed to happen. As you go through life and as you work at your job and as you encounter people at school or wherever you are, people look at you and probably eventually come up to you and say, you're a little different, aren't you? What's going on with you? How do you live your life? And when that happens, you know that God is in control, that he's brought a unity there that can only be expressed through a sacrifice yielding to God type of a life.
because we live differently than the world lives. Yeah? Or no? (laughs) The deeds of the flesh are evident, but we've crucified those things. We put them to death, and we've moved over into the spirit of life that the world might know who Jesus is. That they might not look at us and say, wow, you're an amazing person. That has nothing to do with it. We're not amazing in ourselves. We're amazing because Christ Jesus lives within us. And as we yield to him and allow him to live through us and speak through us, amazing things happen. That's the unity that is given to us. We have, we have a bond together. Let me just go through a quick list here. We're, we started out as sinners. We started out in the dark place. That's where all of us are. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. But then we were forgiven. He comes and he forgives us and we've all been forgiven. If you belong to Jesus, you're forgiven of all your sins. Isn't that exciting? Hallelujah. If you haven't been forgiven all your sins, man, move into the unity of the church because we've been forgiven. It goes on and says we've received the Holy Spirit. We are members one of another. We are actually the body of Christ. One of the most powerful verses that I know in the Bible is when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, I'm going to go away. And they said, no, no, we need you here. No, I've got to go away. That's the plan of God. But when I go away, the Holy Spirit is going to come and fill your life and all of those works that you've seen me do, now you're going to do that. When I first read that, I said, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) Raising the dead, healing people of terminal illnesses, providing for people when there isn't anything to be provided. He says, these are the things that I give to you. You're the body of Christ now. You're me on earth. I came to fill you. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And now you have the same authority that I have with the Father and with the Spirit. I'm in you and you're in me. And so you can do all those things I used to do. Hallelujah. (laughs) Is that challenging or what? But that's what he's called the church to do, to receive. We're unified in that. If I had time, I'd go to Ephesians chapter four. It says that God's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of service. And it goes on and tells how that works out. Read it, it's phenomenal. It says that we all might come to the faith of Jesus Christ, to be able to function in love one for another and serve the way that God has given to us. That's unity. That's a great thing that God has given to us. In the church, we belong to him. The next thing goes on and says, he says not only you're one heart and one soul, but uh, not one of them that claimed anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. We mentioned this before, that there is great generosity in the body of Christ. That's just the way that God has created us. So that when we have belongings, we we say, well, they're really not mine. They really belong to God. If they belong to God, he can direct me in how I'm supposed to steward them, how I'm supposed to take care of them. But if others need something and I can provide that, then that's what I'm gonna do. That's what the church did in the New Testament. They were other-centered, not self-centered. 
This is the church of Jesus Christ that we read about in the scriptures, having not to do with others, but with, with uh, other people. It says they valued ministry over money, they valued people over possessions. So that when it comes right down to it, if you see a brother in need, we step out and we try to meet that need. We have a benevolence committee uh, here in the church. We have a forms for people when they get stuck financially that they can fill out that form and then meet with a couple of people from the benevolence committee and we'll see how, they can, how we can help them. And we've helped people do all kinds of things because we're the body of Christ. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to him. In fact, four times a year we take what is called a benevolent offering and the money that you give in those offerings goes to help other people. But I know it's not just through that offering. This church has been known for years and years that when somebody goes through a struggle or a trial, that we, as people who know one another, members of one another, we find ways of meeting those needs. There's a little thing called the Pentecostal handshake. You know what that is? Yeah, some of you do. When you know somebody's in need, you take the money that God has given to you and you put it in your hand, and when you shake their hand, you leave that money in their hand and you say, God bless you, brother or sister. Many times, that's just how things have happened here in Grace Point. It just happens over and over again because people love one another and they're here to help one another. We're, we're the body of Christ and we're generous with the things that God has given to us. Right now, there's a need in the church in Ukraine and there's ways that you can actually help with them. There's out on the information table uh, a couple of letters written from a church that is one of the FCA churches, like us, down in Arizona. They have missionaries presently in the Ukraine. They're not leaving. They're staying there, and they're funneling money through this church in Arizona to help the church over in the Ukraine go through the difficulties that they're going through. If you'd like to be a part of that, just go by and read about it, take a picture of it, and see if that's what God wants you to do. But when other people are going through trouble, there's something about us that says, I need to be a part of that. I need to help. Maybe not the Ukraine as a country, but the Church of Jesus Christ. We have 30 missionaries scattered around the world that we've sent out from, from Grace Point here. We take an offering every second Sunday of the month for the missions and we send out thousands and thousands of dollars because we don't want to just take care of things here we want to take care of those that God has called to other places that they might be able to help and bring the gospel to many other nations and that's why we do that so we become very generous I remember when I first started coming here with uh, when Pastor Carl was pastor and we would take the general offering and we'd take a missionary offering, and then he would get up once in a while and he'd say, you know, there's a need that maybe we as a church can meet. And he would read that need and he'd take a third offering. I said, my goodness, I better start carrying extra money with me. Because if I'm going to help in all of these things, I, I need to be ready for those kind of things. And I literally did. I started putting money in my wallet that would be for a third offering. <laughs> uh, and he would do that every once in a while. We tried to slow down on that because we don't want to burden you, but the scripture says we need to be generous. And so we do those kind of things. There's two main principles with this. Uh, we teach one of this in the, in the membership class, the first one, Psalm 24.1, and it says this, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. 
What you have is not really yours. It belongs to somebody else, maybe, as God directs. And so we teach this in a membership class that we all belong to Jesus. Everything that we have, even ourselves, we belong to him. So we need to be alert to what he's saying to us so that we can obey him and follow the direction that he gives us. Isn't that exciting? One amen. I don't know if there's others out there. But uh, he gives us plenty. You know we're living in the richest nation in the world? It really is. You, you compare our, our income with incomes in any other country, and our income is way up in the 98 99%. Even those that are, are working with the basic pay, that's more than most of the people in the world get. We've just become very selfish <laughs> and said, what can I buy next? What new thing is coming out? Is there a new phone coming out that I can buy? And we, we just mess this up completely because we don't follow what Scripture is saying. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. Isn't that exciting news? More amens. Thank you. You're helping me out here today. The second main principle is in Acts chapter 11, verse 29 written to a church that Paul wanted to encourage to help the people in Jerusalem. It says, and in the proportion that any of the disciples have means, each one of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And so Paul is writing, said, there's a problem in Judea, would you help them? And so if you have means in the proportion that God has given to you, and he says, each one of you. He doesn't leave anybody out unless they don't have anything. That's really up to you. Kind of like that verse that says, even the things that belong to you, you want to share them with somebody else. That's how God has given to us. So these are the principles. Do what you can with what you have. That's all. If you can't do anything, we have a financial peace university here in the church. If you're going through financial difficulties, we teach you how to handle God's money, God's way. And if you haven't been through that, next time it's announced, maybe you ought to be a part of that. Because God has made it so that we can not only take care of ourselves, but we can take care of others as well. And you know, that's a scripture. <laughs> God has given us more than what we need, and so he has enabled us to be able to give away to somebody else. Isn't that exciting? Yay. Carry extra money with you. You might need it because you're going to find somebody that's in need. All right. <clears throat> the next section, we have great unity. We have great generosity. And it goes on to great power. In verse 33, it says, And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great power came in. They're talking about the gospel. That's where it comes from, the gospel. We had prayed back in, in uh, the previous part of the chapter, in verses 29 and 30. They had prayed there when they got released from, from the problem that they were facing, that, that they would be bold in their speech, that they would be bold in speaking the word of the Lord. Because they had been told, you can't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. It says, well, you decide whether it's right or wrong, but we can't help but say what God has given to us. That's how they responded to directions not to be testimonies of the things of God. 
Well, they went ahead and gave testimonies. If you have time, and I don't have time this morning, I'd love to read Psalm 119 to you. How many have read that lately? That's what I thought. I don't see any hands. Maybe one. Yes, thank you, Lynn. You're good. (laughs) Psalm 119 was a psalm that was given to every Jewish boy to memorize the longest psalm of all. And in the midst of that, I went through it one time and I just started underlining, your testimony, your testimony, your testimony. Not, not talking about the testimony that God has given to us, but his testimony. It's all about God and his word and how he does what he does. If you haven't read it, join Lynn because it's a great psalm to read. It's long, but you can read it in 10 minutes or less. That sound okay? Your devotion time doesn't need to be much more than that. So read Psalm 119. You'll find in that. Take a pencil with you and underline what God speaks to you about because there's a lot of wonderful things in there. That's why they have the Jewish boys memorize the whole thing. And if you want to memorize it, we'll let you come up on the platform and speak it from memory. Is that okay? Is that okay, Pastor Daniel? (laughs) I'm taking liberties here that I don't generally take. Uh, Anyway... The power of God was through that testimony. It says in Romans chapter one, verses three and four, concerning his son who was declared the son of God with power as a result of the resurrection of the dead. They had power because they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. There's a scripture that I love in Romans chapter uh, 10, verses eight, nine, and 10 that, that was used to enlighten me so I could receive Christ as my savior. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, this is a great verse to read. It says there, the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. When that was read to me by a pastor, I said, I didn't think God could be that close. I thought God was in heaven somewhere, but not in my mouth and in my heart. That kind of shook me up a little bit. But he went on and read, that is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Hallelujah. It works. Do that. If you believe in your heart and if you confess with your mouth who Jesus is, that's his testimony. He's been raised from the dead and he wants to raise you from the dead as well out of your sin into a new life in the kingdom. That's what he has in mind. Hallelujah. Well, that's the great power that he's given to us. One more, the great grace. It goes on and says, and great grace, great abundant grace was upon them all. And we know the spelling of grace, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's just an easy way to remember it. It's nothing that we did to get grace, it's what he did for us. In Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine and 10 through 12, I'm not gonna read it all, but here's one verse. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The gift of God, have you received his gift? I hear yeses around the community. We are the church, that's what we've gotten. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul's own testimony says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Isn't that something? He didn't say, I'm an apostle. He says, I am that I am. 
And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God. That's what he understood. It's only by the grace of God that he could do anything that he was doing. And he wrote like a third of the New Testament. Have you written much lately? Write to your friends. Tell them how great Jesus is. Tell them about the resurrection of the dead. Tell them how they can have their lives turned around. I was encouraged one time to write and to write to my friends and tell them who Jesus was. Great way to do it because you don't have to face them personally. You can even do email today or text them. You can do it in all kinds of ways. Let's use the stuff that God has given to us to communicate the gospel. People will receive it. It's amazing. <laughs> I once, once read a story that if we would just invite people to church, 60% of the people would come that we invite. Isn't that amazing? I think that's phenomenal. Invite somebody. You're going to get 60% of them to come. That's better than any pitcher on any major league uh, program can get with pitching strikes. Well, you're not baseball fans, so anyway. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 11, I don't have time for this either, but read it. Verses 24 through 29, Paul went through hell on earth by the grace of God. He was shipwrecked over and over. He was stoned over and over. Read it. And once you've finished reading that, you won't have any problems at all. Because in your comparison with your problems, with what he went through, the grace of God was given to him. 1 Peter chapter 4.10 says this, And as each one has received a special gift, employ it, put it to work, in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you're here this morning and you haven't become a member of the church yet, we have these little cards. It says, I'm all in. The first step of becoming a member here of the church is filling out this card and joining one of the ministries that happen on a Sunday. And if you're not involved in that, let me encourage you as a church to get involved. The cards are back there on the information table. We have them in the welcome room as well. Fill one out and one of the leaders will call you and say, how can we facilitate your involvement in this ministry? No amens with that either, but it works. Not only does that give you a small group to communicate with and to share that one heart and one love with, but it gives you the ability to grow in the things that God has given to you with other people. And if you don't do that, community groups do the same thing. If you signed up for a community group, you'll share with other people that know Jesus and you'll encourage one another and lift up one another and pray for one another and get involved in what God's involved in. That sound all right? Hallelujah. Well, that's what God has given us to do. One more verse I have for you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that's not just selfishly given, but God has given us one another. Two are stronger than one. And a cord of three, it's hard to break that. That's from the Proverbs. So as we join together and as we work together and love together and filled with peace together and reach out in care and concern one for another, phenomenal things happen. Are you a part of the church?
I think that's why you should, you're here this morning, this morning is it, in the afternoon. You're part of what God is doing in his kingdom. And so I want to encourage you with these four things out of this simple part of the Acts. The character qualities of the church of Christ is literally this, great unity, a unity that works together, great generosity, great power, and yeah, great grace. We've received an abundance of the life of Jesus. So stand with me, I wanna pray for you, and then we're going to sing a last song here this morning before we're dismissed. But can I encourage you, wherever you are in this plan of God's plan, Jesus said, I came to build my church. That's his focus. That's why we're gathered here on Sunday morning. That's why we're gathered on Tuesday nights. That's why we gather in community groups. That's why we get together to function in the ministries that God has given us here, that we might find a way to build with him the church of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the simplicity of your word. Lord, for the challenges that we sense in it, Lord God, that you haven't given up on us and we don't want to give up on you. We want to be together. We want to be united with you and your purpose here on planet Earth. Father, we we are only living a short period of time and we're looking forward to going to heaven. But give us fruitfulness, fruitfulness here on planet Earth that we might be an extension of your body, your life, your power, your grace to everyone we come into contact with. Use us, Lord, for your kingdom and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.